Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She brought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The assembly may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Smells are important. Um, And it's not just because I live in a house with three young boys or a dog with a penchant for gas. Smells, you see, are significant. Smell is attached to our sense of taste, but also our memories. How many of you have ever had that moment where a certain smell brings a memory rushing back into your mind? I think we all have those, right? Maybe it's baking, right? The smell of cookies reminds us of grandma or something like that. For me, it's, it's a pan of brownies reminds me of seminary. It's very weird. But we used, to make, we used to make pans of brownies every time we'd gather to play board games together in seminary. And so that's sort of a thing that we still do every time we gather people for board games. We have to have a pan of Aldi's brownies. They have to be the Aldi's brand or it doesn't count. Or maybe it's a perfume or a cologne. My dad is a Stetson man, so I can't help but think of my dad every time I smell that kind of musky smell. Or, or, or maybe it's the smell of a book that brings back nostalgia, right? Or perhaps, perhaps it's that old church smell. I think we all know that smell all too well. Don't act like you don't. And trust me, I know that this is new construction, but I will get us some air fresheners, old church smell, so that we can really feel at home here once more, right? I'm working on it. And you see, as it turns out, scientifically speaking, smell is actually attached quite closely to memory. It all has to do with the pathway by which we process the smells that we smell. It starts with the particles reaching our noses and then getting into our olfactory bulbs. And then it goes through our brain to the amygdala where we learn what that is, we process it, but as it turns out, the amygdala is right next to the hippocampus in our brain, the part that stores memories. And so literally, the place where we smell is right next to the place where we store memories, and so scientists believe this close proximity alone is probably why we are able to attach the two so very closely together. And as we continue on this path into Holy Week, we today find ourselves returning to the home of Lazarus with the smells and with the memories of what was and what is and what is yet to come. Now, Just a few verses before, this smelled quite differently. It was the death of Lazarus. And in order for us, the reader, to know that Lazarus was like dead, dead, it said that he stinketh. 
My favorite verse is in all the Bible. That's the King James translation. He stinketh. And it was because Lazarus stinketh that we knew he was dead. And his death, though, caused quite a stir, but his resurrection caused an even bigger stir, as it turns out. Because first and foremost, what this meant is that if you're dead, you're maybe not dead dead anymore, which is sort of a frightening prospect in and of itself. But it was the story of Lazarus' resurrection working its way through the local population and up to the top of the leadership that really caused a stir, to the point where his resurrection caused Caiaphas to put a bounty on Jesus' head and kicked off the plot by which they planned to kill Jesus as well. And so this, this is what frames the meal here that Martha is preparing for the guests that have arrived at Jesus' house, and you can just smell the meal. And I think that's important. Because food and the smells therein have defined in so many ways Jesus' ministry. The smell of freshly made wine in Cana come back to our memories, right? Or the smell of loaves and fish alongside of the Sea of Galilee. Or the smells of the meals that Jesus has shared with sinner and outcasts like people like Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Smells of food have enriched Jesus' ministry every step of the way. In fact, they are gathering in preparation for yet another meal just six days away, that of the Passover meal. And it's that smells of the food that Martha has prepared that then gives way to the fragrance that Mary uses, that she uses in anointing Jesus' feet, this costly perfume, 300 denarii, yearly, nearly a year's worth of wages. And as that smell begins to fill the room, Judas has an observation. Judas questions Mary's motives. And I think it's reasonable to do so, right? Perhaps she was doing this as a means of giving thanks to Jesus for bringing her brother back to life. Seems reasonable. She wants to replace the stench of death with that of this beautifully fragrant and expensive perfume. Or perhaps her motive is more like what Jesus says, that she is doing this to prepare Jesus for his own death and burial, which, as it turns out, is much closer than probably anybody in that room fully even understands at this moment. And it's into this, though, that we, the audience, get that glimpse inside Judas's brain and we know what his motives are. We understand what his rationale is. But what he says doesn't quite match. What he says is that he has a concern for the extravagant and, dare I say, prodigal waste of so much money when he, she could have done so much more. Why are you using this stuff extravagantly knowing that it's just going to disappear and be gone? The truth of it is, so many of the gifts that we offer to God function in the same way. We give them, and that's it. Like our bells piece this morning. Hours of rehearsal went into it, and three and a half minutes later, it's gone. A gift given to God. right? Or maybe, maybe it's the flowers that we give for Easter Sunday that will adorn our altar, but then come home, and if you're me, die on my counter a few days later right? 
Or, or maybe it's the gift of a memorial that we give in honor of a loved one with the intention of it being spent to beautify our building, to provide future opportunities for our ministries. Or maybe, maybe it's the prayer that we offer silently or aloud for our loved one that when it leaves our minds or leaves our lips, ceases to exist except in God's own ears. So many of our gifts, so many of our signs work in this way. But the lasting memory of this entire text for me isn't what Judas says, but it's actually what Jesus says in response to Judas. Although Judas, we know, is deceiving here, he does have an interesting point. He, he voices concern for the poor, which, as we know, is at the center point of Jesus' ministry. And hopefully our ministry is people who claim Christ is our Savior. He voices that concern for the poor. And what we expect Jesus to say is, well, don't worry about it, right? Because when I'm resurrected, there won't be poor people anymore. Or when the kingdom of heaven comes, which isn't that far away. Remember, we're only six days away from the Passover meal. When, when the resurrection comes, the kingdom of God will make sure that poverty ceases to exist in the world. That's, that's the response I expect from Jesus here. And he's going to explain to Judas why this wasn't a waste. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says something, actually, I think, quite alarming. He says, you will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, at a first glance, this sounds dismissive. This this sounds kind of like a hopeless picture painted of the realities of, of poverty in our world, but instead, instead, it's a callback. It is a callback and reflection upon God's very call for us. It's a paraphrasing of Deuteronomy 15.11 where God says this to the people of Israel, Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. In other words, care for the poor is an assumed role of God and the people who follow God as well. And the instructions given in Deuteronomy around this giving are as follows. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so. And that's the problem in our gospel today, is that Judas begrudges Mary for her generous and extravagant giving towards God, towards Jesus. For Mary, this this act, this act of, of sacrificial giving is what it is regardless of the cost attached to it. But for Judas, the cost always matters. The sacrificial and symbolic act has to be cost-effective because if it isn't, it's not self-serving, and if it's not self-serving, it's not worth doing. So, while Mary's act of sacrificial giving is beautifully fragrant, Judas's response is nothing short of rotten. And I think that is the key today, this day in Lent. Because you see, every Wednesday during the season, 
as we gather for prayer in this very space, we've sung these words. Let our prayers rise up like incense before you, the lifting up of our hands as an offering to you. Every week, we have lifted our prayers like fragrant incense to God. And this day, as we prepare ourselves for that path ahead into Palm Sunday and then therefore Holy Week, May our gifts carry us through that time. The sights, the sounds, and the smells of the worship that lies ahead as we remember the Easter gift of new life, the same gift of resurrection that Lazarus already knew, that gift that replaces the stench of death with that of resurrection. So thanks, be to God for the sights and the sounds and the smells of our gifts that we offer this day and always. Amen.